Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom! I like that kid. So there's a joke, a cringeworthy old Jewish joke, which is told of our friend Goldstein, who pays a visit to his rabbi and sits down in the office and says, Rabbi, I want you to make me a Kohen. And the rabbi responds, Goldstein, you know I love you, but I can't just make you a Kohen. And Goldstein smiles at the rabbi. He knows how this game is played. Rabbi, I know you have the synagogue gala around the corner. I'm sure you want a few more names on the diamond committee. I'd love to make my pledge here and now. Just make me a Kohen. And the rabbi smiles right back and says, Goldstein, Abe, gala ad or no gala ad, there's simply nothing I can do for you. But Goldstein, never one to back down from a challenge, makes his final plea, Rabbi, one million dollars, take it or leave it, please, just make me a Kohen. Abe, I'm sorry, I would if I could, but I just can't help you. But before you go, just tell me, why is it so important to you that you become a Kohen? To which Goldstein replies, well, Rabbi, my father was a Kohen, his father before that was a Kohen, and his father before that was a Kohen. Whatever the challenges, pressures, and anxieties that came with being a Kohen, an ancient priest in Israel, at the very least, there wasn't a pipeline issue. To be a Kohen, to be charged with leading Israel's religious life, was no picnic. At the most basic level, they were entrusted with Israel's sacramental life, the rites, the rituals, and rhythms of a people as they sought to stand before God. Services, holiday services, making themselves available to the community at large and to every individual Israelite. Differentiating between the pure and the impure, the kosher and the unkosher. To be a Kohen was a forward-facing position. Your every move watched not just by God above, but by the very people whom you led. A Kohen was a person just like anyone else, but as clergy, he existed in the public eye and was thus held to a higher standard than anyone else. The job was 24-7 and it wasn't always pretty. Jarring as it may be for us to read about the various afflictions described in this week's Torah reading, think about the Kohen who had to draw close to the raw and rough edges of every person's life experience. The Kohen had to deal with their blemished humanity and carry the heavy burden of deciding who was in and who was out of the community. I imagine it was nonstop. It was a lot. And it wasn't easy to have one's livelihood depend on the very people with whom you may agree with or often the case disagree with. And let's face it, it's not a job that anyone went into for the paycheck. But at the very least, 
There were no pipeline issues. You were a Kohen. Your father was a Kohen. Your children and grandchildren and children's children were going to be Kohanim. A staff structure built into ancient Israel guaranteeing that every generation would be assured religious leadership, a system of mentorship and apprenticeship. The Kohens passed down generation to generation the stock of clergy in a perpetual state of regeneration and replenishment. That was ancient Israel. Our generation is not so lucky. We have a religious leadership pipeline issue, and it is a serious one. As I read the press, as I speak to my colleagues, as I hear stories, I don't just believe, I know that we are living through a clergy crisis, a crisis in the recruitment, training, placement, and retention of clergy to serve the present and future needs of the Jewish people. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. The news is not good, it is in fact bad. In the past few weeks, there have been major announcements of institutional contractions. In the reform movement, Hebrew Union College is deliberating the decision of whether to cease rabbinical training in its historic Cincinnati campus. In the conservative movement, the West Coast Rabbinical Seminary, American Jewish University, where I proudly attended for a year, just announced a proposed sale of their campus. Presumably in a bid to attract more students, they also announced slashing tuition by some 70%. Enrollment numbers are down. Graduating classes and entering classes are tracking well below what they used to. To use just one data point, my alma mater, JTS, the Jewish Theological Seminary presently has about 60 rabbinical students enrolled, about half of what it was when I was a student. Chovavei Torah, the modern Orthodox seminary, is struggling for students, and even where the numbers are stable, like Boston's non-denominational Hebrew college, its campus was also just sold a few years ago. And training seminaries are just one data point in a bigger story, part of a cycle of a contraction across American Jewish life. In December, the conservative movement sent a letter to its congregations explaining that many of them would not be able to fill vacant rabbinic positions with reform congregations similarly reporting a five to 10% rise in unfilled pulpit. It's a leadership pinch felt by all but most acutely by synagogues for whom the idea of being a pulpit rabbi holds diminishing appeal. I never applied to a pulpit out of JTS. I was working on a PhD, but I remember the fierce competition between my talented classmates for those pulpits. Today, many of the best and brightest are gunning for entrepreneurial ventures outside of congregations. The crisis is not just with young rabbis, but all rabbis. The great resignation has hit the clergy community hard, with many rabbis taking early retirement, and even these once coveted large congregational positions are going unfilled. COVID hasn't done anyone any favors. Synagogue attendance and membership is down, 
as other markers of Jewish life are also. The other day, I spoke to a New York Moyle who shared that his business is down 35 to 40 percent from his pre-COVID numbers. The data is not all bad. There are still wait lists for spots at the conservative movement's Camp Ramah. Independent learning ventures are sprouting up, and online content is booming. It's a crisis felt most acutely by progressive denominations, but evidence of erosion abounds and the relevance of denominational labels is a question faced by everyone. The clergy supply chain issue is not, to be sure, just a Jewish one. Many seminaries and congregations of many faiths and denominations are contracting. And while my focus is on the training of rabbis, the story for cantors and Jewish educators of all kinds is as bad, if not worse. A pipeline crisis in the recruitment training, placement, and retention of the very people we count on to build the Jewish future. Fewer choosing to enter Jewish education, fewer choosing to enter the rabbinate, fewer choosing to serve congregations, resulting in fewer congregations creating vibrant communities capable of producing the best and the brightest who will choose a life in service to the Jewish people. There are those who would say that I am exaggerating, that there are bright spots to be found, that the trend is just a cyclical one. I think those people are wrong and in denial. I think I am being kind. I think this is a vicious and self-perpetuating cycle that is an existential crisis for American Jewry. And if the first step is to speak openly and name the pipeline crisis, then our next step is to unpack why it is happening. Why aren't the best and the brightest entering the rabbinate? The problem, to be sure, long predated COVID, being stretched thin, managing the budget and bureaucracy of a small to mid-sized cash-strapped not-for-profit. None of us went into the rabbinate for board meetings and synagogue politics. We did so because we love Jews and we love Judaism. We love Torah and we love teaching Torah. We want to communicate the riches of Judaism to the Jews we serve. But then rabbis discover a life of membership models, divisive politics on Israel or intermarriage or intersectionality. Rabbis are called on to stretch budgets and to meet and deal with congregants who play out their frustrations with their lives, their faith, or their families on the latest sermon the rabbi gave or the new melody the cantor just introduced. COVID was just an accelerant to clergy burnout. A congregational rabbi is a profession premised on public assembly, of greeting people warmly, of watching a classroom come alive, of being present at a wedding, a shiva house, a baby naming, or a bar bat mitzvah. Not only have we been deprived of these very things that once gave meaning to our vocation, but we fill our days doing things that we're not qualified to do and we have no interest in doing, like interpreting masking policies, CDC guidelines, and vaccine mandates. And let's not forget about anti-Semitism. Little did I know that chair throwing would be part of the skill set of the next generation of Jewish clergy. Speaking personally, my career exists in a bubble. I am blessed with extraordinary colleagues 
a supportive community, a demographic and philanthropic base that is stable and growing. But our story is not the story of American Jewry, and my rabbinate is not the story of the American rabbinate. I am sure that there is someone out there commissioning some survey as to why there is a pipeline problem in the American rabbinate, but you don't need a survey. You just need seichel, common sense, to know why the best and the brightest in the numbers that are needed are not entering the rabbinate. The pipeline issue is a serious one, and we're going to discuss it on Tuesday night in dialogue with Rabbi Angela Bookdahl of Central Synagogue and Rabbi Chaim Steinmetz of KJ, as well as on Seminary Shabbat with Chancellor Schwartz on April 29th. Like all serious problems, it will take bold and sustained thought and investment to address it. We need to consider questions of recruitment, training, compensation, and professional development to build a rabbinate capable of attracting the next generation. It's neither structurally nor morally defensible to have an industry, the industry of Jewish education, reliant on the ability of a person to marry well. Seminaries need to be sufficiently funded so as to make tuition accessible to all, and Jewish educators need to be paid income sufficient that they can at the very least send their own children to the very day schools, synagogues, and summer camps in which we work and to which we tell you to send your children. We need lay leaders from communities such as our own who believe in the power of synagogues to shape individual and communal Jewish identity so much so that they devote their time, talent, and treasure towards those seminaries and agencies capable of moving the needle on matters larger than any one congregation. We need lay leaders to adopt the same creative can-do approach that they demand in their day jobs to their synagogues so that the coming generation of young whippersnappers see congregational life as the very playground to realize the dreams of a shared Jewish future. There's so much to be done. We all have a role to play in this story, even and especially me. For all sorts of reasons, this past year I made the decision to start teaching rabbinical students at the Jewish Theological Seminary, and I look forward to doing so again next year. In retrospect, I think the most impactful moment of the semester was not any class I taught or any reading I assigned, but it was one night of Hanukkah when I invited my students over for candles and latkes. And the students spoke mostly to Debbie and my children, not to me, and they saw that a person can live like a mensch, be happily married, have fabulous kids, and find enormous professional satisfaction as a congregational rabbi, as a thinker, as a pastoral presence, as a community organizer. That while I wasn't born into it, I wouldn't change careers for all the riches of the world, because no different than the Kohen of yesteryear, I arrive at work every day, blessed to serve my community, blessed to make you think, blessed to ask you to stretch beyond what you think you're capable of doing Jewishly, blessed to be invited into your lives at your best and your worst moments, and blessed to work with the greatest team of professional and lay leaders ever fielded, making Judaism come alive for our generation. 
I can think of no better career for an ambitious, mission-driven young person to enter than being a congregational rabbi. And if by my efforts and the model of my career, I can help inspire one or two young people to become Jewish educators, I can think of no better legacy to leave. And if you're wondering, aside from getting involved with education and yes, leading a vibrant synagogue-based Jewish life yourself, what role you have to play in this story, then I'll leave you with one final thought, one final memory. I can tell the story of why I became a rabbi in a variety of ways, but I know that one of the reasons is that in my household growing up, my parents were always friends with the rabbi. The rabbi was the guy my father called for advice and who called my father for advice. They were buddies. He was a guy to whom my mother would respond to volunteer. More times than I can count, my folks would go out to dinner with the rabbi, or I would see the rabbi in our living room drinking a scotch late night with my father. And even when the rabbi wasn't a personal family friend, which sometimes he wasn't, the rabbi was always spoken of with respect, not because he was holy, but because he chose a profession in service to something holy. Why did I become a congregational rabbi? Because I knew without anyone ever saying it out loud that it was a career choice that would be respected by the people I respected most in this world. I lack nothing in my life. When it comes to my chosen profession, the love and respect I feel from the community I serve is beyond measure. Every rabbi should be so lucky, but not every rabbi is. So if you are watching from afar, or if you're here visiting today, and your community is struggling, then do your rabbi and do the Jewish community a solid by making your rabbi your friend. Reach out to your clergy. Support them in their efforts. Judge them generously. Buy them a scotch. Fight for them in the boardroom. Make sure that the servants of the Jewish people know that they are respected for who they are and the cause they serve. They are, after all, the pipeline. They are the lifeline to our future. And as your rabbi, I can think of no greater cause for you to defend. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.